So when I was younger, my good friend Dan Waterbury and I would often try to come up with the most absurd philosophical, and I use that term very loosely, philosophical questions. We would ask questions like, if you're making the most accurate estimate possible, is it really accurate or is it really an estimate? (laughs) These are the thoughts of 14-year-old boys growing up in northern New Mexico. Well, at least two 14-year-old boys. Clearly, we did not have girlfriends at the time. (laughs) We did not have cars. And I could tell you, (laughs) we were really a long way from either of those things. But here, I want to share with you a few more girl-repelling questions that we would ask ourselves while we were playing Joe Montana football right on the Sega Genesis. So, if your shirt is untucked, are your pants then tucked into your shirt? Okay, notice how my pants are nicely tucked in. Okay. If you plan to fail and succeed, which one did you actually accomplish? And if two mind readers read each other's minds at the exact same time, whose mind are they really reading? And finally, this one hits close to home now. If Cinderella's shoe really fit perfectly, why did it slip off in the first place? (laughs) So I'm sure that we could probably dive deep into my teenage years, um, probably need a little bit of counseling, but I can tell you that we don't have the time, nor do I have the insurance to properly cover any of that. But what we will talk about today is in this series, we have really been walking through Matthew. So before we took the break for Easter, we were looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right, in Matthew chapter 5. In those passages, Jesus focused on the intent of our actions with others, right? Putting murder on the same level as anger, adultery is equal to lust, Um, divorce is the same as adultery, and oaths are even the words, all the words that come out of our mouths. Retaliation and revenge become showing kindness and generosity, and finally, our enemies become our family. Jesus is truly flipping how we as Christ followers look at our relationships with others. Today, we're going to look at how Jesus poses another interesting philosophical question. And this is a real philosophical question. But it might have been something that we would ask when I was 14. Is there truly a selfless good deed? So in Matthew 6, we shift our focus from showing how the intent of our relationships with others is important to how our intentions and actions with God are vastly more important. How God has expectations of not only us doing good works and good deeds, but also having the proper motives to do so. Why we do things is just as important as how we do things. We'll hit on three questions. And they may or may not be philosophical. We could discuss that later. But question number one, doing good, is it really an option? Question two, is there really a wrong motive for doing good good deeds and good works? And finally, question three, is there really a right motive for doing good? So let's start. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others or be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, 
Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so, you're, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So our first question, doing good, is it really an option? Well, verse 1, right, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. This opening line, right, quickly summarizes the central theme that we have going on throughout the rest of the passages. There are acts of righteousness, doing good and giving to others. Even the phrase acts of righteousness means in order to meet the needs of the poor. To a Jew, acts of righteousness and righteousness mean the exact same thing. Doing righteous acts was the greatest thing that a Jew could do. It was the first act of religion. The term also points to one's relationships with God. And Jesus is calling us to be truly God-centered in the performance of our righteous acts. acts, Not looking towards self-orientation or glorification. We must guard and be on alert to the deception of giving and doing good before man. A person's heart can be deceived. The sin sneaks up on us. It's insidious. It's subtle. Later in Matthew, Jesus specifically calls out the Pharisees as those who seek public recognition for their religious observations. If performance of religious devotion is motivated by public acclaim, public attention, then one's reward is limited to earthly applause. Jesus recognizes that there are proper rewards for the intrinsic things that we do for the kingdom. However, God's reward for true righteousness is disproportionately greater than the effort and far superior to the recognition we would receive from fellow man. Even in verse 3, right, Jesus says, when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy. There's an expectation. There's a calling and that's not just in Matthews, throughout, right? In Deuteronomy 15, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in the land. And then again in Leviticus chapter 19, when you reap the harvest of your, of your land, do not reap the very edges or, of your field or gather gleanings from your harvest. Do not, over, uh, do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So doing good. Is it an option? No, it's not. We're called to do acts of righteousness. But we must be careful. Because we could quickly see that motive is important. Which leads us to the second question. Is there really a wrong motive for doing good? Well, let's take a look. Going all the way back to the beginning, starting in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. A fundamental expression of Jewish piety and righteousness involves a charitable and benevolent response to the poor. James says in, uh, in chapter 1, 
religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. In fact, in rabbinic Judaism, righteousness or almsgiving was seen as more important than all the commandments, only being outranked by meditation on the Torah. Even within the intertestamental period, the term righteousness became a technical expression, meaning the giving of alms, which in today's vernacular really kind of comes down to just doing good deeds, giving to the poor, giving to those in need. Jesus already assumes that there is an ongoing benevolent nature within us. He is, he is empathetic, or emphatic, sorry, that his followers are to refrain from actions that shift the attention from God to ourselves. Before, in Matthew 5, he says in verse 16, in the same way, light, let your light shine before others that you may, so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The intention here is to praise God, not call attentions to ourselves. To announce our actions and deeds with much pomp and praise is illustrative of some of the extreme measures that we as man go through in the pursuit of attention and acclaim. So therefore, if our acts of kindness and generosity are to gain that attention and praise are performed for worldly acclaim, the performer will be paid by temporary ovations the world hands out. Even if we look at the term hypocrite, uh, I'm sorry, if the term hypocrite right, kind of comes from the theater, meaning actor. By the time of Jesus, the term came to have a more metaphorical usage, describing one who, through persistence, or I'm sorry, one through who pretends, either consciously or unconsciously, assumes a role that conceals an inner reality. So when Jesus is calling out the Pharisees, it has that dual meaning, and it's very poignant uh, for those who choose to do works in front of men. I'm reminded of a movie from the late 90s. I'm sure some of you will pick up on this pretty quick. Uh, this, the plot of this movie was about a long-running you know, space travel show that had been canceled, that had kind of developed a, a cult following. Um, some of like, you know, Star Trek or uh, some of these Comic-Con adventure type things. Um, so the cast would often go to these, to these conventions. And one of these times, some group of, a group of folks come up to the captain, right? The captain of the NSEA protector. Uh, and they ask, hey, can you come help us? Can you come help us fight this? You're, you're the captain. Help us out. And the captain thinking, oh, yeah, this is just another gig for some fans. They really just you know, want me to play a bit role. I could do that. So he, he accepts. Right? He goes to where these people are doing their thing, and it is immaculate. Right? It looks just like this of the NSA protector. And he's like, wow, this is, this is pretty impressive. So he sits down in the captain's chair, and he offers some kind of half-hearted commands. And even one time he says, you know, during the attack, he just says, why don't you just go ahead and throw that at him as he throws a Coke can at the screen. These, these folks are a little bit shocked and astonished, and the captain really quickly wants to return home. And though the crew reluctantly allows him to, the captain realizes that this was real. This isn't fake. So further down in the movie, right, the folks come back, all, like the whole cast and crew, and they're in this battle 
with Saris once again. And they have to admit, right, during this battle, that they're not space travelers. They've never even been to space. They don't have any combat experience. That everything that these people have thought that they, that they were are from the historical documents, right? Essentially the old reruns of this show. And that everything has been based on those reruns. They have to admit that they're actors. They're hypocrites in all meanings of the word. So we are often able to fool our fellow man. We're able to show and parade our good works and pass it off as righteousness. You know, look at all these great things that I've done, that I'm doing, that I can do. So easy, right? Especially in today's society with social media. We're able to quickly post only one side of who we are. The perfect adventure, the perfect vacation, the clean house, the nicely posed picture, right? It's all fake. Because we know that deep down there's also hurt, struggle. We're barely keeping our heads above water. And yet, and, that, and all that is just because the focus is on ourselves. So let me just clarify something real quick. It's not always wrong to do good works or good deeds in front of somebody or, or for others to see. Sometimes we really can't even help it. But where we really get in trouble is when we do good things or we do good works so that others may see. Later on in Matthew, it's, he says, uh, or it says, everything they do is done for the people to see. They make their phylacteries, right, those big boxes that they carry the scrolls, wide and their tassels on their garments long. Or even in Luke, in chapter 20, beware of the teachers of the law. They, walk, uh, they like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. Is there a wrong motive for doing good works? You bet there is. When we focus on ourselves and we do things for the praise we will receive because of it, the plaudits we hear is short-lived, making our activities, though meaningful on the surface, could have been so much more. So we already know that doing acts of righteousness, it's our calling. It's what we are supposed to do. It's not an option. We know that there is also a propensity for us to have that wrong motive. So you might ask, is there a right motive for doing good deeds? Well, let's go back to the beginning. Be, be careful, right, not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to, uh, to be seen by, by them. If you do, you will have your reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that, giving, so that you're giving in secret then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So what's the right motive for doing good? Do not let your left hand know what your right is doing. What a descriptive way to put it. If we put that same phrase in the context of corporate America, it's a bad thing, right? We're all supposed to be on the same page. We're all supposed to know what everyone is doing so that we can have that one focus, that one drive. But here... It's a good thing. We must unconsciously give, meaning that we are not to pay attention to what we are giving or what we are doing. 
It comes from the inner compulsion, the nudging of the Spirit to give, to help, out of the intense love that Christ has for us, that Christ has for the person that we're helping. We learned a few weeks back that we are to help and care for even our enemies. We should also keep in mind the need. What is the true need here? Not on what we're doing or what we are giving. Just love, care, and have concern for those who are being helped. We are to give secretly, quietly, privately. Do not let others know what it is we're doing. Keep it quiet. Say nothing. Keep a low profile. Right? Keep it on the down low. There's no need to be the center of attention. And when we put all of this in the context of a realistic view of the serve, the spirit moves even more emphatically. The world is a place of pain and suffering, sin and death. And the world truly needs to be brought and saved to, incorporated into, and reconciled with God. When we face the truth and despair this world is, we will hopefully forget about ourselves and set out to meet the needs and do the work that Christ has before us. There is no time to take or get caught up within the affairs of this world or seek out the commendations of man when we are truly seeking to bring Jesus to a community in need. So I'm reminded of a CIY long ago and one of those youth trips from long ago. And at these CIYs, right, they usually have one of these like missions deals, right, whether that be like Compassion International or the Water Project, right, then they have this kind of this theme throughout, throughout the week. Well, the week that, that's, that, uh, that I'm recalling, this was about sex trafficking and specifically sex trafficking within Cambodia. And the mission was to get these kids, and they used the term, smuggle the kids out of the brothels. Get the kids set up with education, get them health care, get them the counseling that they need because of the atrocities that they see, and get them reunited with their family. There was one, one young man that, uh, that this really struck a chord with, and he was desperate to help. He was desperate to do something to make a difference, to have an impact. And he told me time and time again of all the ideas that he had. Some of them were far-fetched, but other of them were pretty good ideas. And it is that desperation that we need in order to make a change within this world. Our focus should be diligent devotion to Christ and showing that same desperation that he had for us to others. We are to be so immersed in God and the needs of this world, that our righteous acts are an outpouring of Christ in us with no concern for rewards, but for only serving and bringing Jesus with the, and focusing on the rewards that he has for us. In Jeremiah, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to, or I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what, the, uh, to what their deeds deserve. And again in Jeremiah, who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? We also know that our reward is not of this earth, but it is from the Father. And if we are in Christ, we will be rewarded not as a servant, but as sons and daughters. In 1 Corinthians, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor 
in the Lord is not in vain. In 2 Corinthians, for we must all appear before the judgment of judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. In 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. In 2 John, watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that we may be rewarded fully. In Revelation, look, I am coming. My reward is with me. I, have, I will give to each person according to what they have done. And finally, in Isaiah, see, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see, his reward is with him. There is a right motive. And God re re rewards those who frantically do his work for the world that so desperately needs him. My mom tells a story of my grandfather uh, shortly after, after he passed. My grandpa, he was a man of very few words. Uh, but he was a God-fearing man, seen, uh, seen as a hardworking and stern individual uh, who had flown in World War II, and he was working at the steel mills in Chicago. He had a hard persona right, and a callous demeanor about him, and yet upon his death, my mom tells that there were numerous people that she had never seen or met before. She would ask them, how did you know my dad? And the responses were varied, but they all had the same theme. They'd say, oh, Smitty? Well, he helped me change a tire one night in the rain. Or he gave me some money so that I could put some food on the table for my family. Or he paid my doctor bills. So all these acts were unknown to his family, right? those that he even lived with. And it really came as quite a surprise to them. It was said later of my grandfather that he didn't want anyone knowing that he was nice. So my grandfather wasn't really worried about receiving praise from man. He allowed the love he had for Christ to overflow into his actions for those in need. We are called to do good, show kindness, be generous, and exemplify righteousness and righteous acts. We are warned, warned against wrong motives, and we are rewarded for the outpouring of love to others through our kindness and generosity. God truly cares about what we have in our hearts and has concern for why we do what we do. If you want to know more about what it is to have Christ overflowing your heart with love, or if you're looking for a place to call home, or if you just simply want someone to pray with, go to the back. There's going to be some folks back there. Find myself, find Jimmy, find an elder. Let's not let this opportunity pass. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you desperately sought us. That you left the 99 so that you can come find each and every one of us. Father, I pray that we have that same desperation. That we have that same emphatic response when we see others in need. That we will be 
nudged to move by your Spirit, that we will listen to that prompting. Father, we need you. We love you. We seek you. In your name I pray.